0: Baseball Tonight, the podcast.
1: And this is a special edition of the Baseball Tonight podcast. We are taping this just an hour or so after the trade deadline and the evening of August 2nd. We've got Jeff Passen here. We've got Tim Kirch in here. I'm Buster only. Sarah Abbott, Taylor Schwenk are also in the room producing with us. Good to see you guys in person for the first time ever. <laughs> in real life. It's a pleasure, boys. Very nice. Well, we got a lot to get to. And now, Tim, you have a long drive. Jeff, you've been working harder than anybody. You got to be
0: exhausted at some point. So, you ready to go? I'm just glad that I don't have to wear makeup to not look tired. <laughs> like I, I walk in before we go on TV, and they say, "What, you know, what do you need?" And I'm like, "I just need to not look tired, please." Yeah. We-
1: well just wait a few more years and they, they won't be able to do anything about that. <laughs> Tim always, and I know this. We always do the
2: winners and losers at the trade deadline. The, the biggest winner is passing because the the deadline is over. Yes. Buster to a slightly le- lesser
1: degree you. We we can all relax a tiny bit now. We're excited and look, I you know in the past we've gone winners and losers. I'd rather just keep this uh topical. I'd rather throw out a topic and let's put some uh you know thoughts into uh you know each of these topics. And let's put a time limit on it, guys, Uh, because I feel like each of these topics. we could talk about the Padres for the whole 20 minutes. Of course. Uh Uh, We could talk about the Red Sox for the whole 20 minutes. So what we're going to do is we're going to put time limits on some of these topics. We'll start with the Padres because you have to start with the Padres who get Juan Soto. And we're going to put four minutes on that one. Jeff,
0: what do you think? They went out and got the hitter of his generation. They went out and got a future Hall of Famer. They went out and got a guy who I think when he's done is going to be one of the 10 best hitters we have ever seen, and they're pairing him with Fernando Tatis Jr., pairing him with Manny Machado, Josh Bell. Brandon Drury. Brandon Drury, (laughs) Jake Cronenworth, Austin Nola. Josh Cater coming out of the pen. I, I mean, what A.J. Preller does is... He is the epitome of someone who does not give a, and you can fill in the blank however you want to, he wants to go out and win, and he's going to be the guy who, when he's up on a ski slope, he sees a little jump at the bottom, and he's going to send it. That's how he lives his life. He just sends it all the time.
2: Right. He is fearless. He is brilliant. He never sleeps. He's wildly competitive. And he just got the two best hitters that were available this morning. Both of them, Josh Bell and Juan Soto. He also had a brand Drury. He's got a 520 slugging percentage and can play all over the field. And yesterday he got the best closer in the game. The Padres went from a team that was going to make the playoffs to a team that will,
1: could be very dangerous in October. Okay, I thought for sure you would say the same thing that you basically started the the trade deadline special with saying that this trade, Juan Soto, could be the biggest in baseball history. It
2: could be when you look at the people involved, but mostly you look at the centerpiece. Have we ever seen a 23-year-old player with this kind of track record and this kind of future traded But three years before he can become a free agent. I don't think this has ever happened before,
1: and it happened today. The Padres clearly were the most motivated team. I'm curious to see if you agree with me on this. I I thought, you know, as this was playing out and and the Nationals were trying to get their best deal, I thought there were two major bluffs being played. One, with the Nationals indicating to other teams, well, we might keep him past the deadline. I think there was a lot of internal pressure, Mm -hmm. ownership transfer, Uh, It was a bluff, and you understand why Mike Rizzo was trying to posture that way because he wanted to keep his leverage up. And the other one was the Dodgers. You know, It felt like the Dodgers jumped in here to push the Padres. I don't think there was any chance that Andrew Freeman, and this was pointed out to me by a couple of GMs, he doesn't give up his best prospects in deals. He will make great trades for big names, but like with the Mookie Betts trade, the feeling was he didn't really give up that much. So the idea that he was going to give up a boatload of prospects – other teams were skeptical about that.
0: I, I think the only reason that might have been the case is because not everyone he's trading for is Juan, Juan Soto. Soto. Like that—that's the—that's the separator. That's the differentiator. And not only is not everyone he's trading for Juan Soto, not everyone he's trading for is a 23-year-old superstar whose cost control for the next two and a half years—you know—if you look at him just through wins above replacement, he's going to. Put up, what, 15 to 17 over that period of time? And he's going to get paid around $60 million. The way the Dodgers approach things is, is purely a marginal value thing. And the marginal value with 15 to 17 wins versus $60 million paid, it, there's an enormous delta there. And that's where the Dodgers, if they were to have chosen to have gone this route, would have been able to justify it.
2: And they didn't have to go this route because they won 24 of their last 29 games. And <laughs> there, they got there right. is that, I mean, no There's no pressure that on they've the got, Dodgers. They've got the best lineup still in the National League. They've got five pitchers coming off the injured list. They are loaded. They
1: didn't have to do anything. So we will transition on the next topic. We're, that's right. We're at 338. Yeah. I want to ask you, Jeff, about uh, the end of the trade deadline or in the last minutes of the trade deadline, because we've had so many examples through history where we find out about things that happen right at the end. You Darvish, Manny yep. Ramirez, Nomar Garcia Para. Randy uh, Johnson. Right. Yeah. What came across that jumped out of you at the end?
0: Not any of those. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Iglesias to the to the Braves. Okay, so Raycell Iglesias, let's remember, was a free agent and signed a big deal with the Los Angeles Angels, four years, fifty-eight million dollars. Gets traded in the first year by Perry Manassian to the general manager of the Atlanta Braves, for whom he worked before going to work for the Angels, Alex Anthopoulos, and it bolsters a Braves bullpen that already is among the best in baseball, both statistically and depth-wise. And we were talking during the the trade deadline show, guys, about the possibility of Spencer Strider maybe not being in the rotation in the postseason but turning into some sort of like a two- to three-inning super reliever. The, The Braves have set themselves up and positioned themselves so well to be even better this October than they were last October. And they won the World Series last year. And
2: I love what the Phillies did at the end. They got Noah Synegard to add to a pretty decent rotation anyway. David Robertson stabilizes the bullpen. They upgraded their defense
1: with Brandon Marsh and others. So late, the Phillies got better. So I want to ask you about the Cubs, because we thought in those last yeah. minutes that they would be
0: perhaps the most aggressive team, but they didn't. I uh, Listen, I, I will fully admit, I whiffed on thinking that, There were enough teams out there that needed to upgrade. There were enough players out there who represented upgrades and there's an extra wild card spot this year that every team can go for. And and I wonder if this actually does put into context a little more. Some of the teams that tried to sell when they were in those middling positions, like the fact that there were teams, you know, Tampa Bay didn't do a whole lot to upgrade for example. Could Baltimore potentially have gone and caught them? Instead, Baltimore goes and trades Trey Mancini and Jorge Lopez. And uh, you wonder long-term if that's a better thing, but short-term was it a missed opportunity because J.D. Martinez didn't go, Wilson Contreras didn't go, Ian Happ didn't go, Nathan Evaldi didn't go, Martin Perez didn't go, Matt Moore didn't go. Uh, There's a number of guys I'm missing at this point, but point is – a lot of guys who could and maybe should have gone. Carlos Radon, who was probably the best player out there at the end, did not go, and it made for a bit of an anticlimactic deadline, I think. So did the Cubs
1: overplay their hand with Contreras? Because we heard about him for weeks and weeks and weeks, mm-hmm. and the pushback I was getting from other teams that we thought were— like, there was so much talk about the Mets, for example, being interested in Contreras, and what I was getting back the whole time was, eh, right. Yeah. that they they had more interest in having strong defensive catching Yes, and not trying to incorporate somebody. I got,
0: I got the same thing from Cleveland, actually.
1: Right. It, it, the, the idea of, that of incorporating Contreras with a new pitching staff in the last two months, a lot of teams looked at that as something that they weren't interested in doing. It, so did the Cubs overplay
0: it? it it's interesting. I'm, I'm not trying to avoid the question. What I think is interesting here is is the perception of Wilson Contreras among fans versus the perception of him inside the industry. I think if you were expecting to get a massive return for Wilson Contreras, then yes, you overplayed it. But I don't know that the Cubs were expecting a massive return. Now, you talk with executives with whom they were speaking about this, and they kept saying the price is too high, the price is too high, the price is too high. But maybe the price among those teams is so low and where this portends poorly, I think, is for Wilson Contreras' free agency. Yeah. Now, all it takes is one team, but if the general opinion out there among teams that were looking to acquire players is that a guy who's got you know, an OPS over 800 and who plays catcher and who's been pretty durable throughout his career and who hits the ball extremely hard isn't someone you want to get before a playoff run, then are you going to sign him to a big long-term deal? Strange. And Eduardo Perez said, you know, from the player dynamic, those
2: two guys were hugging and crying, leaving the Cubs, and now they're back on the Cubs. He said they probably
1: checked out emotionally anyway, and now they're back on the team. That's a weird dynamic. That is going to be a weird dynamic. And then going forward, if you're Contreras, as you said, Jeff, now you're wondering about your free agency and how the Cubs are going to handle that. Cause you would assume there's a chance of going to get a qualifying offer and that might impact the offers that he gets, uh, moving forward. So yeah, that'll be worth watching. Uh, I, I think that, you know, this year we can say the national league was more aggressive than the American league generally speaking. Oh,
0: yeah. I mean, it, Timmy, go ahead, please. Well, the
2: Padres obviously were the big winners. Um, The Dodgers didn't have to do much. Um, The Mets got better with some smaller moves, but Michael Gibbons added to that bullpen, and Jacob DeGrom starting tonight. It's like they added him also. The Braves did some really good things. We mentioned how much better the Phillies have gotten, and even though the Brewers traded Josh Hader, it wasn't an enormous step backwards by any means. They're still right there. The point is the aggressiveness of the National League leaves us with the Phillies, I mean the uh, Mets and the Braves who are really good. We've got the Dodgers who are great. The Padres are demonstrably better and the Brewers are still a very difficult out if they make the playoffs with those three starters and at least Devin Williams at the end.
0: Even the Cardinals going in at the end and getting two left-handers in Jose Quintana and Jordan Montgomery, they you know, I don't think the Cardinals deadline is necessarily disappointing. But when you're in the Juan Soto sweepstakes and when you need starting pitching and you get a couple of guys who are sort of in that middle tier of starting pitching and you don't get Juan Soto, it was almost set up to fail for the Cardinals if they didn't go out and get a guy like Carlos Rodon. And it turns out nobody got Carlos Rodon. That's
1: what they did last year. Remember we yeah, got to the Jay deadline? Happ and
0: John Lester.
1: You know that as we talked about on the show, maybe a proportional response to what you're dealing with within the, within the division. Some of the other executives told me that they thought that the Cardinals, there was no chance that they would pull a the trigger on a massive Juan Soto deal, because their feeling was is that John Mozeliak, that's not really his style. And the second thing was, there's not a lot of pressure on them in the National League Central.
0: No, and and you know what, Milwaukee Milwaukee was talking about some potential deals that could have put pressure on them. They were talking about moving some of the pieces that they got in the Josh Hader deal, potentially going out and getting a center fielder. There were discussions there. Nothing came to fruition, though, and right now the Brewers are a team that are relying on Brandon Woodruff, Corbin Burns, Freddie Peralta coming back, Aaron Ashby, and, and Eric Lauer, and hoping that their bullpen is effective and that they can hit enough, and that's been their recipe for how many years now. You know they they've, they're coming up on three plus years of doing this and doing it well, and knowing that Craig Council is one of the best managers in baseball, and he's going to be able to leverage those relievers into the spots where they can be most successful.
1: So during the course of the trade deadline show, uh, Xander Bogarts was speaking with reporters. And basically said in so many words, we don't know what the plan is. You trade Christian Vasquez uh, yesterday. Today, they added Eric Hosmer. Jeff, you reported that the Padres are eating all of Eric Hosmer's uh-huh. money. So the the Red Sox actually get an upgrade at first base, but they just traded their catcher. They trade for Tommy Pham. Folks I talked to in the organization today aren't sure exactly what they're going to do with him What do you make of what the Red Sox did? Well, I'm as confused as Xander Bogarts is about (laughs) what the
2: Red Sox did. You're either your buyers or your sellers. You really can't be both. Let's say they had kept Vasquez, and you upgraded at first base, at least defensively with Hosmer, and you added Tommy Pham. Now at least you say, all right, they're going to try to win that last wild card. But trading Vasquez, and they really don't have a second catcher, I'm still not sure what what the point of all this was, and I think they're in a lot of trouble in the American League because there are better teams in front of them, and I don't see Trevor Story coming back to stabilize the defense at second base anytime soon.
0: Are they that much worse than they were 48 hours ago?
1: No, because of what they added, which makes it more confusing that they traded
0: Vasquez to me. I don't know that they're better than they were. I don't know that they're worse than they were. I think what they're looking at right now is an AL landscape that is if everything aligns perfectly. And and if you've watched the Boston Red Sox, by the way, over the last month or so, this sounds like the most foolish thing in the world, right? Because they have been... I, I love watching Tim Kirkjian watch the Boston Red Sox because when you watch them play defense, it offends you. Like it, it, you, you are deeply offended by their fielding and just the number of boneheaded mistakes that they constantly make. And the idea that that team could, could materialize into a playoff team, it seems far fetched, but they're only a few games back. Yeah. And, and it, you know, part of me sits here seeing the way that the whole market played out saying, why didn't they go get Wilson Contreras? Why didn't they, I mean, if the cost yeah. wasn't going to be that high, if, you know, if you were able to go out and get him and a couple other pieces, if the Red Sox had added instead of subtracted and added and and sort of played this middling game, how much better could they have been in in a position to actually maybe compete?
1: But Buster, you're right. You can't punt in Boston, correct? No, you can't punt in Boston, and... and everything that happened raises more questions like the the fact they took in Hosmer that deal. If the Padres are eating all the money for Eric Hosmer, why didn't you go get him four months ago? (laughs) You know, Carlos Santana, when he was available, he would have been better because I mean, Tim, you know, Jeff's right. The Red Sox defense offends you. You know, that there's been no bigger trouble spot for about a year and a half than first base. And they didn't do anything. And I, Look, if I were uh, friends with Hein Bloom and he asked me what I thought, I'd say, "Look, you need to have go on a retreat with all of these guys and like get together." And, and I, I say it facetiously, things, right? but uh, he needs to get down there uh, and have conversations with people in that clubhouse because I was around that team before that game on Monday night. I, I can't remember the last time. Where I saw such a disconnect between what was going on in the front office and what was going on in the clubhouse so much confusion, so much anger. I mean my goodness there wasn't a member of the front office there yeah. to talk to Christian Vasquez about when he was traded you guys saw the scrum that happened where he was uh, Vasquez was surrounded by reporters. the person who pulled him away was his translator.
0: I, I, I know this is a trade deadline podcast, and so I'm sorry for throwing a philosophical question out there, but how much responsibility do you guys think front offices have to the players and vice versa? Do you, do you think accountability from the front office is that imperative in a situation like that? Because more and more front offices have become separated from the clubhouse to the point where GMs used to walk through the clubhouse all the time. And now you may see one meandering around, but generally speaking, it's through the front door into the manager's office. Talk about the game, go right back out.
1: Well, I think you're right uh, that it's gone in that direction, but I'd say just look at the 2021 Braves as an example of of how it should work uh, where you had Alex Anthopoulos after Acuna gets hurt say, look, I owe it to these guys to to try to win and so he goes out and makes a trade I don't think Alex if he gave him truth serum believed that the Braves are going to win the World Series in that moment (laughs) but it was it was like a front office version of running out of ground ball which I think they they owe it to the players to do Uh, and the Red Sox front office to me in this case did not run out of ground ball and there needs to be a conversation I know that because I'm hearing it from inside the Red Sox clubhouse speaking of which that takes us to the Orioles What's your take on the Orioles? They've been one of baseball's biggest surprises this year. They're kind of in the race, a couple games out in the wild card race, uh and they uh, the moves they make are to subtract uh-huh. players and payroll.
0: Okay. This is this is just going to be a personal philosophy here. I feel like you should either add or subtract. You are either a winner or a loser, you are a buyer or a seller. It, it's very binary to me and there are very few situations in which it's right to just sit there and hold on to what you've got. So I think if the Baltimore Orioles are looking at it, like we need to be a buyer or a seller seller is the way to go because the talent level just isn't the same. And, and I, listen, I love what the Seattle Mariners did by going out and getting Luis Castillo because they said definitively, it's time for us to win right now. It's been too damn long. It doesn't matter if we have to give up Noel Vimarte, Edwin Arroyo, four prospects. It doesn't matter if we have to overpay. Now's the time to win. I appreciate that. I just don't see the Baltimore Orioles being there right now. And so, uh, trading Trey Mancini, that's a gut-punched to a clubhouse that has worked really hard this year to get where it is. Trading Jorge Lopez, same thing, but I get it. And and the the emotional part of me wants to say, well, why don't you just give the kids a chance to get in the playoffs? I think there are going to be a lot more moments in the postseason going forward, and I think what they did, getting Seth Johnson. Seth Johnson was the second-best pitcher in the Rays organization before he blew his elbow out. He's going to be really good. And the Rays and the Orioles got him for a Trey Mancini rental. Like that's what it comes down to. And I think moves like that are what build listen, Seth Johnson may not come back. It may not work, but moves like that are what build championship caliber ball clubs. Right. And Mike Elias
2: just stayed with the plan. And it's difficult to argue when the plan has been set in place. But again, there are two ways to look at this. The fans have waited so long for a competitive team and they finally get one and they unload instead of adding at the deadline. I can honestly see both sides of this. Sometimes though, you have to deviate from the plan and maybe keeping Trey Mancini would have been the better thing to do.
0: There are two ways to see it. I, I, you know what? I thought they were going to actually, I thought they were playing so well. How do you possibly trade him? But they well,
1: did. I and I actually think you could have thread a needle there. I could I could see if if trade Mancini had trade value and get prospects in return. Okay, that's great. You know what they also have is payroll flexibility.
0: Yes, they and do. there were a
1: lot of pitchers out there where if you took on money or your players out there if you were willing to take on money, then you could have made deals. And they chose not to do that, despite the fact that they've been banking money now for three or four years. That to me would have been a way to go. Hey, we're trading these two guys we have with value, but we're gonna bring in these two veteran players, three veteran players, basically taking on their salary. Could have gotten
0: too. Osmer for free. Exactly.
1: That's exactly <laughs> right. Uh all right, Astros. What do you get what do you guys think about what the Astros did at the deadline?
2: Well, I think they improved. Again, Vasquez is a very good catcher. He should have made the all-star team this year. The danger there is Martin Maldonado is a great defensive catcher, and they're all used to throwing to uh-huh. him. I think Dusty must look around and go, well, we already have a catcher, and even though our catchers are hitting way under 200, they like working with Martin Maldonado. And Trey Mancini's going to help, but exactly where is he going to play? Dusty knows that Yuli Gurriel hasn't had a good year, but he swung it much better here lately and he's not going to play much he's not a very good outfielder so i like what they did but it's going to be up to dusty to make sure that mancini and vasquez have enough playing time to justify those trades
0: astros also did not have a left-handed reliever until they got will smith all season long they've been going without a lefty in their bullpen and so to get that for Jake to somebody who didn't even have a spot in the rotation anymore once lance mccullers jr comes back I think it was, listen, Will Smith closed out the World Series last year. Let's remember that for for the Atlanta Braves and hasn't had a great year this year, but he's the type of person who's got playoff pedigree. And if you want to stick him in against a bunch of left-handed hitters that you're going to run into in the playoffs, Yankees got a lot of lefties. I think we all agree the Padres won the trade deadline. I would say
1: second would probably be between the Yankees and the Mariners. What would you think of what the Yankees did?
0: I, I liked what the Yankees did because it was incremental. The Jordan Montgomery for Harrison Bader thing confuses me a little bit. Rotation depth is really important. You never know. I mean, you just saw Luis Severino go on the 60-day. Yeah, And so getting Frankie Montas replaces him. But Montgomery's been solid, if not spectacular there. Uh, before that, though, getting Scott Efros, I appreciate – trying to look at unconventional guys like 28-year-old sidearming right-handed relievers as being valuable. I appreciate Andrew Benintendi because he hits for average and gets on base and makes contact, and, you know, there's some swing and miss in the Yankees lineup sometimes. Uh, you know, when Stanton's back, judge, but having that contact there is big. And getting Montas and Lou Trevino, who— one evaluator texted me and said Trevino is nasty, just needs to figure out how to harness it. And look at most of the players that the Yankees traded to get all of these guys. They're almost all pitchers. The Yankees have a fantastic player development system when it comes to pitching right now. There's uh, I don't know what his official title is, but I, I got a text from an, uh, from an evaluator who said, I don't know who the Yankees spin doctor is, but whoever's teaching them what to do down in the minor leagues in terms of figuring out how to design pitches is incredible at his job and deserves a raise.
2: Look, I like what the Yankees did too. Remember the one reason they're here is how they upgraded their infield defense in the offseason. That has been critical, especially to their pitching. Now they've upgraded their outfield defense with Bader and Ben attendee in the last 10 days, but Jeff, I'm with you. The, Mo- the Montgomery thing is a little confusing to me because of Severino's injury. And because James, Tion has not been great lately, not even close. So I'm a little confused by that, but I really, really like where they are because Frankie Montas can strike you out and put the ball in the grass, and that's what you're looking for for any effective pitcher.
1: Coming up from JFK Airport today, I was listening to New York Talk Radio, something very dangerous uh, leading <laughs> to a trade deadline, <laughs> but they were crushing the Mets because they feel like the Mets Mets fans saying, we should have done more, we should add bigger names. They wanted bigger, brighter. Uh, there's Soto or, or a starting pitcher, a, a headliner, that sort of thing. How do you feel about the Mets?
2: Look, the Mets are really good, and yep. Michael Givens is going to help them. And some of these other moves, Vogelbach and people like that, they're going to help the Mets. Buck Show is going to figure this out. And he's got Jacob deGrom coming back tonight. I mean, what were they supposed to do? Were they, maybe Wilson Contreras would have really helped, okay? They had the lowest OPS yeah. from the catchers of any position. But again, if Wilson Contreras isn't the defensive catcher that he needs to be, and Tomas Nito is really good, and Max Scherzer can't wait to throw to him, does it really solve anything by bringing Wilson Contreras in? These are the, these are the beautiful parts of baseball that we can debate forever We'll see where the Mets go from here I think they're in pretty darn good shape.
0: bring them in as a bat like that that's what you do there catch them once a week twice a week maybe put them into the DH slot.
1: Yeah, and I've had, you know, my friends who are Mets fans, when they've complained about the lack of conversation around them with these bigger deals leading up to the deadline, I'm like, you got Max Scherzer, you got Starling Marte, you got a lot of really good players during the offseason, and I agree with you, Tim. It's a really good team. Cincinnati Reds are not a really good team, but it seems like they had a really good, uh, really good uh, deal-making leading up to the deadline. Did
0: they have the second-best deadline? Can you ar- can you argue that they position themselves yeah you so could argue well that no them.
1: I don't want to do because we don't know where it leads <laughs> we don't and,
0: and and listen I understand that that their prospects they did extremely well in the Luis Castillo deal they did extremely well in the Tyler Malley deal um, they did well in the Brandon Drury deal you know I think there's a lot of credit deserved uh, for timing them right like they jumped on Castillo early. And they understood that Seattle was either going to go and get Frankie Montas or go and get Luis Castillo. And Seattle knew that the price on Montas was going to be high, and so they said, we we like Castillo best, and we are willing to pay what it takes to get him because we believe that we're a playoff team with him. So credit to Cincinnati, which has a vastly improved farm system. And already in Ellie De La Cruz Who is six foot five and 200 pounds and hit a ball 512 feet last week? Has a guy who may, within the next year, be a top five prospect in the entire game.
2: I can't, look, I agree with everything you said. They did a great job. I just can't put them second because they <laughs> s- since they're three and they're tanking since they're three and 22 start, they, they've they actually played pretty well. And that's not getting them to the playoffs, but they started to play pretty well. People started to get interested again. Then they traded their best two starting pitchers and
0: basically their best position player all in, in a, but, one but okay. Okay, fine. They're not second, but aren't they in the same category with the Nationals? I mean, the return the Nationals got on Juan Soto was yeah oh no question
1: obscene and I thought the timing was right I think there was concern you know this Jeff among other teams as they were talking about Luis Castillo okay is Bob Castellini the owner of the Reds gonna jump in at the end and do some weirdness where they pull him off the table and they try to sign him if they had done that that would not have fit the timing of where they are like if given how deep they are the hole they're in now they needed to trade Castillo uh, Drury, and anybody who had value at this point. If they had signed Castillo, that to me would have been inane.
2: Yeah. You yeah, either go for it completely or you rebuild completely and build with all the young people that you can, which is what the Nationals and the Reds are doing. So both of them did pretty well, really well, as far as that
1: aspect goes. All right, Tim, get on the road. Jeff, yeah. I know you probably have an article to write tonight.
0: I'm going to go back and drink a Mountain Dew. It's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for doing this. Thanks, Buster. Thank you, Buster.
3: Sweet. How is, this, is this
0: is this genuine is this genuinely the first time you guys have seen each other in yep. person yep. that's awesome i love that our third season working together <laughs> yeah, i guess
1: i guess Some i guess, I guess life it is the For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes. Call one 800 directv tv or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice
4: package. This is The Numbers
0: Game with Sarah Langs.
1: Sarah Langs, reporter and producer for MLB.com. And Sarah, how you doing? Uh, have you recovered from all the trades, the rash, the wave, whatever you want to describe it? All these deals leading up the deadline?
4: Um, Maybe. I mean, I, that was so much fun. I loved watching you guys on baseball tonight, the drawer special, and the Sports Center after. That was a lot of fun. But now I'm staring at all my monitors, and we have a ton of games in the 7 and 8 p.m. windows tonight. So no rest for the weary. You well,
1: know? and I realize as we're talking, I'm taking you away from watching your right hander, you being a Mets fan, <laughs> Jacob DeGrom pitching tonight. So I got to get through this with you, okay?
4: I have all the time in the world for you always, Buster.
1: Well, I appreciate it, Sarah. So uh, I've been uh, you know, coming up with lines, trying to put uh, Juan Soto into context when I've been going on shows, and I've been saying uh, that getting Juan Soto now at age 23 is like getting Ted Williams in 1842, like getting William Mays in 1955, Hank Aaron in 1958, uh, Mike Trout in 2014. I've also said I feel like this is the most significant trait of a young player since Babe Ruth. Uh, t- shoot holes in that for me. Tell me what you think.
4: I'm not sure I can. I mean, when you were talking on Baseball Tonight about those comparisons, and 55, so on and so forth, I was sitting here nodding along. I mean, that is what this is. This is a generational future Hall of Famer in his prime he's already won a world series he's done so much he's finished top five for mdp twice and here he is changing teams i mean as we'll discuss and as you have discussed at length today this does not happen so i mean i think those comparisons are perfect and of course babe ruth yes but babe ruth at that moment he turned into so much more, and of course, some of it was the two-way player, right? He was more of a pitcher. He became more of a header. Babe Ruth, this would be like getting the Yankee Babe Ruth after two or three years.
1: Yeah, that, that makes sense. Uh, I, I can't wait to see the top of the lineup, and I would love... I, I think what uh, somebody needs to do is to stand over the shoulder of Bob Melvin as he writes in the lineup <sighs> card. Right? How much fun would that be for Bob Melvin to write in oh when Fernando Tatis Jr. comes back to write in his name in the leadoff spot? And I'm assuming this is the way you have to go this way, right, Sarah? You have to go Tatis Jr., Soto, Machado, one, two, three. Yes?
4: Yes, yes, definitely. And then you put Bell, uh, Bell excuse me, hitting cleanup, which is also a really great thing to do. I mean, he's not in the same conversation as Machado and Ted Teeth and Soto, but he's been a great player this year and throughout his career. So that entire lineup is just looking so powerful all of a sudden after they were really lacking for power in the first half of the year.
1: Yep, and then you got Drury five, you got Cronenworth hitting six, yeah. you got Grisham, you you have a really good team. All right, let's play the numbers game.
5: Number three.
4: So number three is one. So to the point of trying to figure out how on earth we contextualize this trade, these are the two lines that I have been going with. Juan Soto is the first player at age 23 or younger to be traded mid-season the year he was an all-star. He is also the first player to make multiple all-star teams and then be traded all before turning 24. So one of one. Of course, Babe Ruth Brawley would have been on small star teams at those ages had the All Star game existed when he was those ages. But we're going with what we have.
5: Number two.
4: Number two is two. So you were talking about it with that lineup. And of course, the jewel of this lineup now is the fact that you're going to have Fernando Tatis Jr. and Juan Soto both at the moment 23 years old in the same lineup once Tatis is back and healthy. So last year, the two of them became the first duo of players under the age of 23 to both finish top three for MVP in the same league in the same year. Wow! And now they're teammates. I remember looking into that and thinking, wow, we are so lucky to even see these guys play against each other every now and then. And now we're going to see them in the same lineup for at the very least the next two and a half years.
5: Number one.
4: Number one is eight. So not to be lost in all of the uh, sort of shuffle, making myself laugh here, uh, but the (laughs) Padres also... (laughs) Also got Josh Hader yesterday. So that's two guys who are all-stars this year. The Patriots are just the eighth team to acquire two players midseason, both of whom were, were all-stars that year. They joined the 2021 Dodgers, 2016 Rangers, 15 Blue Jays, 14 A's, 03 Yankees, 98 Dodgers, and the 1937 Senators. So there's been a lot of talk of the types of players that A.J. Poehler is being able to acquire, and there you go. It did happen recently, last year, with Scherzer and Trey Turner, but this type of thing does not happen often.
1: Before you go, Sarah, are you one of the uh, Mets fans who's bitter that they didn't do something bigger than what they did?
4: You know, I, as I've said, I really don't root much anymore. But I think that, you know, I saw reports that the team was maybe feeling a little gun shy after last year with Pete Crow Armstrong having a really good year this year in the Cubs organization. I think ultimately this Mets team has been really good. I do wonder about the power. It's great that they're getting Jacob DeGrom back. He does not fix the fact that they're not slugging quite enough, so we will see, but, you know, no bitterness here. Absolutely not.
1: Yeah, I thought they would be the team that would get Drury. Like, I thought he was a great fit for them. He had some power. He can move around a little bit. If Escobar, you know, he struggled in the first half. If that continued, he'd have another option um, so that, that one surprised me a little bit there, but at the same time, they're a good enough team. Like they could easily, you could see them with, uh, with Scherzer and DeGrom winning the national league and coming through the playoffs. So I, I don't, I don't blame Billy cool. Epler for not, uh, not going overboard and adding some big names.
4: For sure. And again, we talk about how, uh, power wins in the playoffs, but we just mentioned Jacob DeGrom having him and Max Scherzer, you in a good spot.
1: Exactly. All right, Sarah, uh, enjoy the DeGrom game. I'll get out of your way now.
4: Thanks so much for having me, Buster. Appreciate it.
1: We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com Buster. Just go to Indeed.com Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast indeed.com slash buster terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed dogs are an important part of our lives and keeping them protected is a top priority especially against nasty parasites that's why you got to check out next guard plus a Fox honor and pyrantal chewable tablets. nextguard Plus Chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease. Plus, it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious, beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive.
5: Bleacher Tweets. All righty, Buster and Sarah. Bleacher Tweets for... A t- Whoa! What day is it? Tuesday? Tuesday.
1: It's the trade deadline oh day. Gosh. It's Tuesday, <laughs> August 2nd.
5: If that's not burned into your brain at uh, this point, come on. Yikes. Yeah. Well, oh, I forgot about the trade deadline last year. So it shows how important <laughs> that is to me. Uh, we got a ton of questions here just for the sake of time because Buster has to get back out of here and get to a nap or a bed or something. Um, let's see. Sergio De Luna writes in with the Padres having signed Machado and Tatis to a long-term deal. Do you think they have the money to sign Soto to a long-term deal? Or is this just a two and a half year rental? Yeah, we didn't talk about this with the guys. Yeah. And I'll answer that question in a second, but I want to get
1: your guys' impressions of what happened at the trade deadline. Sarah, what do you think? I mean, what, uh,
3: jumped out of you? This is my first trade deadline that I've actually ever followed. And just, I mean, the Padres. They're the clear winners. This is really exciting for Theo Light, my eight year old cousin, who is a diehard Padres fan because of Tatis. And now he's Where does has he live? In Tampa, Florida. So
1: He's a Padre fan in Tampa, Florida. Yes. Uh, kids today. You know. Unbelievable. He
3: it started out as like a bitter thing because I think since I told him I like the Dodgers, he picked yeah. he picked the Padres. So <laughs> now he he's gonna be really happy with Soto as well.
5: Well, the Orioles, man, we we exchanged some texts last night. I I'm kind of look. With- I'm just going to stand back because you know how I've <sighs> felt about this whole thing.
1: I just think it's you know I'm thinking about writing an article in which you go back through like sports history. Sorry, I just took over no, the microphone. No, go it. I love to hear it. So so I was thinking about going back and finding out all the moments in in sports history. You know, after reading Michael Elias's comments <laughs> and you, you know, we can help me paraphrase. It essentially is said in so many words. Well, you know, yeah, we're in the playoff race, but our chances aren't very good. Our odds aren't very (laughs) good. And I was thinking, imagine Herb Brooks, who was the coach of the, uh, you know, the Miracle on Ice hockey team, (laughs) saying to his players, you know what, those Russians, they're so much better than we are. We Mm. have no chance against those guys. (laughs) You know, the 1951 Giants, 14 games behind the Brooklyn Dodgers. Imagine if their manager, leader rush. You know what, guys? Our our chances are lousy. You know, just save yourself. Don't get hurt, right?
5: Yeah. Uh, you know,
1: I, I mean, on and on and on.
5: He's beholden the spreadsheet. It's it's like a conflicting thing. And I, I've I've been going back and forth with a friend a lot about this. Like, you can be in on the rebuild and, like, understand the logic behind it and still be annoyed at the whole situation. Be annoyed with Michael Elias. I mean, like Tim said, like, sometimes the plan has to change. They didn't really have to do anything at all to abandon the plan. Like, I know Seth Johnson is, you know, he's, he's the crown piece of this whole trade to come back. By the way, the Rays when they're trading guys way, we've talked about this before. Buster yeah. Blake Snell ever heard of him? Like, <laughs> co- like I'm just suspicious of, of what they're sending over. If He's he was good, John'd.
1: if he was good, the Rays wouldn't have gotten rid of him is basically what exactly,
5: you're saying. Exactly. Exactly. So the Orioles, they didn't have to do anything at all. They don't, they're not going to resign Trey Mancini in the off season. Like that wouldn't have happened. That's okay. Like you could have just, Kept doing what you're doing, like you guys said. You could have bought a couple bats. They got plenty of cash lying around. At a certain point, it's like, okay, this is the plan. But like, also, Michael Elias isn't being held to like a standard of wins and losses. Uh Michael Elias has never made a trade that's been good. So, I mean, that's another thing when he's you know, shifting these pieces around. It's like, okay, like oh, he knows more about baseball than me. But like, do we really know that this is going to work out? And I don't know, man. It's just, it's a lot. It's a bummer. They better not, they cannot sell next summer. Like next summer has to be, that has to be the year that they start revving things up. Well, or raise the payroll, perhaps. raise the payroll, see, bring uh, some guys like all the things you should do to try and win baseball games, which they are actively trying not to do. See, and I'm not comfortable
1: putting everything on, on like Mike's shoulders. It's mm. the, it's ownership. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, well, if John Angelos, John Angelos had come down, uh, you know, the, who the owner, of the uh, de facto owner of the Orioles right now had gone down to the front office and said, hey, you know what? Uh, I know you have value for these other players, but we owe it to our fans, mm-hmm. which is what the Braves did last year. Yep. Post COVID, they open up Truist Park and the Braves front office felt like, look, these guys are coming back to the ballpark. They're filling the stands. We're making money. We got to put a product on the field. Right? Yeah. And I would have thought that within the Orioles uh, hierarchy, you know, the, the owner, John Angelos would have said, Hey. You know what? The interest is starting to ramp back up. Mm-hmm. Fans are excited. We want to play out this playoff thing. We probably aren't going to make it. And you know, the being real about it, but let's give it a shot. And yeah. the idea that what you did at the deadline was trade away two of your five best players, eight best players, mm-hmm. and you slash your payroll. Like you cut payroll, you don't add payroll.
5: That, that's not a good look. I mean, the, like, the offense has been average at best yeah. with Trey Mancini, now without... Like, they've totally... He's neutered the offense, yeah, and right. the ownership is signing off on it. It's just... I just don't think, like, Seth Johnson and, like, these other pieces are going to make or break the rebuild, you know? Like, just stay in the course as is. Like, it would have been fine. Everything would have been fine, but nope, he's ruthless, and he's sticking to his plan, and and that's it. But the other, the other thing that bothers me is, like, he just... He acts like he's not the one making the decisions. Like it's the spreadsheets are bust, and like he has to, like like he just can't deviate from them. He can't even fathom that like maybe the real world is a little bit different, and like maybe you should you know evaluate things. It's just like oh nope, the probability is in our favor, so that's it. Like he's acting like he didn't put the team in this position in the first place either. Like he just like he's like some weird. Like Jedi forced ghosts, like guiding Luke Skywalker to like pull the levers.
1: I talked to someone today who used to work with the Orioles, and this person said to me, "They ignore the fans." Oh, like, yeah, that's you, obvious. You you can't ignore the fans in the way that they are without having some kind of uh, response and blowback. And look, I know on Twitter, I get you know Orioles fans coming at me because I'm critical of them and saying, "Look, we love what the Orioles." Are. Okay, but that's not all fans. No, there are a lot of casual fans who are looking at this team and looking at Trey Mancini being excited about it and all of a sudden when you're close it's the front office of the team that pulls the rug not an injury or not mm-hmm. you know a losing streak it's the front office basically signaling the clubhouse yeah you're not good enough the numbers don't say we're good enough and we're not going to try to win right Right,
5: and then I had a friend text me like they're up six nothing. Come on, man, like get over it. And like, one oh, game come, come on, know, exactly. Uh, all right, let's do the bleacher tweets. All right, let's do a couple more here. Um, we actually didn't do any. I cut you off. Uh, we did. We did one. We had some Orioles questions, so we'll we'll shoulder th- we'll shelve those for now. Um, How about Justin Simmons at Justin Lance Sim one writes and hey, Buster, with the Riley deal, the Braves now have four of their best hitters, Acuna Albies, Riley Olson locked up for the next five years. When is the last time a team had that much guaranteed offensive continuity? The
1: Cleveland Indians back in the day signed a lot of their young players to long term deals. I want to say like in the late 90s. So like the Carlos Bayerga and I think uh, Albert Bell, et cetera. Uh, They signed, Manny Ramirez, they had signed to a long-term deal. I thought about this uh, when it came to, you know, we've talked about Otani maybe being like a player who's going to get $50 million a year. The Braves moving forward have uh, Austin Riley, Ronald Acuna Jr., Matt Olson signed up for a total of $55 million a year for the foreseeable future. like steal (laughs) three core pieces, which gives them cost certainty and payroll flexibility and adding other players.
5: Take that every day. Uh, Our burner account here. Hey, Buster at anti Taylor writes in, do you have a sense for which team or teams have improved their farm system the most? This trade deadline.
1: Well, we talked about the reds and I, yeah, I thought they did an absolutely great job. And I think the nationals did Mike Rizzo, who's the general manager of the nationals, he is a great evaluator. He's a great scout. And I'm sure he did really well in the Soto trade.
5: Okay. So Ethan Helvering well, let's piggyback on that. Which team will reach its competitive window next? Uh, Nats or Reds? I'm
1: gonna say Nats, because I don't know when the Reds are gonna spend again. And yeah. I and I don't mean that as a as a rip. I literally you don't have a feel for it. I get the feeling with new ownership, you know, the incoming owners probably would get excited about the team improving.
5: I kind of feel bad for Mike Rizzo having to go out there (laughs) just (laughs) taking bullets after he's been ordered to to get rid of Juan Soto. But
1: Yeah, do you agree with me, by by the way? I think he played a bluff. He and the Dodgers both played
5: bluffs. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, Amy Chapman, she really wanted her question read. Uh, She wrote in, last week, you and Hembo talked about how trades of superstars never work out for teams trading them. If that's so, what's the point of trading fan favorites and tanking? Isn't there another more effective way of building a winner?
1: It's not that the trades don't work out for the team who trade them uh a tra- you know get the prospects but it's you don't lose a trade by getting a superstar you know like mm-hmm. when Ken Griffey Jr was traded from the Mariners to the Reds the the Mariners got Mike Cameron back and he was a terrific player for them um, look I, I mean they were in an unenviable position assuming that ownership was driving this decision that's just the way it goes um, I do feel like the baseball is beginning to move toward what we're seeing in the NBA and to the NFL to a certain degree, where it feels like the players are beginning to get a little bit more control mm-hmm. by being a little bit more outspoken. I like it. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah and I, I mean, I don't think we're going to have uh, you know, baseball players all agreeing to land in one spot per se, like we did in the NBA and with LeBron, but it does feel like players getting more power. Yeah, Absolutely.
5: Uh, Two more here. Don Irvine writes in, will the trades the Yankees made get them back on track, or is the recent flatlining due to some other factors? No, I think that'll get them back on track. I love the trades they made. All right, last one here. Off the books, Sarah, you made your first trip to New York City over the weekend. How many Nebraska stalks of corn would you give your visit?
3: Ooh, like out of 10? 10 being the highest? I'm going to give it an eight, because we walked 20,000 steps, and that's a lot of steps. Okay, that's almost 10 miles. I know. We almost did a half marathon, you know, if you think about it. Those are Disneyland steps.
5: (laughs) I was curious, because Buster, you've lived around New York City for a long time. You're not a big city guy. I'm a big city guy. I've been to New York City a bunch of times. But just to hear someone who's never been to New York City, it always gets me.
1: Yeah, I can't stand going to the city. (laughs) Uh, I have been there. So I've lived in Westchester County for 24 years, I have not been to the Statue of Liberty. Wow. Really stupid. Because I'm about, you know, as you guys know, I'm moving out to Montana. mm -hmm. uh, And I feel silly, in all seriousness, not taking advantage of the city more than I did.
3: What's the one place I need to go in New York City for the next time I go, since I am a city girl now?
1: (laughs) Officially. (laughs) Officially. Mm. Have you been to Yankee Stadium?
3: We drove by it.
1: Have you been to City Field? No. You got to go to those okay. places. City you got to see a concert in okay. Madison Square Garden, also. I've done that.
3: Yeah, maybe I'll. Like, I saw
1: the police there.
5: Nice.
3: Maybe yeah. I'll see where Miles Teller goes for a concert. Oh, and <laughs> <laughs>
5: a great place to end the podcast. Thanks for inviting everyone. Hashtag bleacher yeah. tweets on Twitter. We'll be back on Friday.
1: That's it for today. We're back on Friday, right? So we got a couple days yes. low key. Yes. Very nice. Okay. Uh, that's it for today. My thanks to Sarah and to Taylor and to Sarah and to Jeff and to Tim. And my brain is mush. So I'm trying to remember everybody who was involved in the show. Uh, stay safe. Uh, thanks for listening. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Dogs are an important part of our lives. That means protecting them from parasites. Ask your vet about NextGuard Plus, a Fox moxidectin, and pyrantal chewable tablets. Nexgard Plus Chews provides one and done monthly protection against fleas, ticks, heartworm disease, roundworms, and hookworms. Plus, they're delicious and easy to give. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders, dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting a preventive. Ask about NextGuard Plus Chews.